we are going to continue in 1 Corinthians. Last week we started a brand new book of the Bible. We talked about the church at Corinth. And man, they, they had their, their issues as we're going to see. Like they had a lot of problems. And Paul's writing to them. He actually wrote to them a letter. And that letter um, is lost. Like we don't have it. He makes reference to a letter he wrote them. Uh, but God just in his sovereignty... Uh, under the inspiration of scripture, decided like we didn't need that one. Um, but they write back and now Paul's writing them. And that's what we do have. We do have this letter from Paul to the Corinthians. And so he's writing to them. He hears about just a lot of things going on, a lot of issues. And Paul started this church. So he's writing to them. and But he starts out and he's encouraging them. Right? He's going to deal with a lot of the drama and issues that are go excuse me that are going on in Corinth but he starts out last week we talked about that how that 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 the importance of the church in the city Corinth was a corrupt wicked city i mean anything imaginable that you could think of sinfully like that that was going on in Corinth that was Corinth it was a port city a lot of people coming and going and that's what Corinth was known for but God said that he had his church in Corinth and God has his church all over the world today. Amen. And the church should be the light. The church should be in the city uh, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the truth. And, and we see like even though Corinth had their share of issues or the church of Corinth had their share of issues, Paul's reminding them saying, God's not done with you. God is working in you. God's going to sustain you or confirm you to the end because God is faithful. And man, what a comfort that that is because, you know, and again, I think what we see is like a harmony and unity in the scripture. Um, there's some passages that give us like really like it's like a warning. Like, man, if you're living this way, like, are you really even in Christ? Because when Christ saves us, he changes us and gives us new desires. And we, we, we walk a certain way because we want to please Christ and and some of those passages can come across as like really harsh and, and, and but yet it's the, the really, it's a warning. Like, are you really a child of God? If there's, hasn't been a change in your heart and life, right? And, and the answer, like in James, he says, no, dead faith doesn't save you. If there's no change, there's no good works. Well, then you're not really a new creation in Christ Jesus. Because if you're in Christ, then there's going to be a change in your life. But then we see a passage like this where I think we also see, but it's also possible for Christians to still struggle with sin, right? We're being sanctified and we can still have some struggles. And the church at Corinth here, they had their struggles, but Paul was encouraging them that God would confirm them, that God would sustain them, that God would finish the work that he started in them because he is faithful. So he's giving them that, that encouragement as he, starts out, um, as he starts out the book. Now we're going to pick up in verse 10. After he gives them this um, encouragement, now he's going to dive into the issues that are going on here in Corinth. And part of the problem here in Corinth was this. The church was divided. The church was divided. He's like, I beseech you. He's saying like, look, or I'm, I'm making an appeal to you that you come together. He's saying, I'm appealing to you that you come uh, together. The, the problem is like he's getting this, this message um, that there was conflict, that there's division. So he says, I'm making an appeal. I beseech you 
brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says that you all speak the same thing, that there be no division among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind. So he's like, look, you're broken apart, you're divided, but my desire is that you would be perfectly joined uh, together. So the, the division, he says, like later on, he's going to say, look, is Christ divided and split up? Like, don't, don't be divided because Christ isn't divided. But yet you are divided. And he's like, and, and, and you're, I would that you would all speak the same thing so that there's no divisions among you. And part of the problem was this church at Corinth, they were buying into some of the worldly wisdom and philosophies in the culture around them. Because in the culture around them, they had their, their favorite um, debaters and their favorite um, philosophers that they would basically put their allegiance and stamp of approval on saying, this is my guy, I'm following him. And, and what was happening was the church of Corinth, they were doing that same thing within the church. And Paul's like, look, I, I want you to be joined together. The, the, the phrase perfectly joined together that actually comes from a medical term when, when a doctor would set a bone back that was broken. He's like, look, I want that you're, you're, you were together and now you're split, you're broken. He's like, in my desire, my appeal to you is that you would be joined together, that you would be unified again. And he's going to tell us how that happens by having the same mind and using the same judgment. So we'll unpack that and talk about what that is. Um, but before that, like, look, it just, as we look practically, like as a church, here today in, in 2021, like it's really, really important that we see why we as a church need to be united, right? Because if a church is divided, if a church is split up, um, you know, that we're not going to be effective with the gospel. Now, there are plenty of reasons when maybe there does need to be a division. There's plenty of reasons, and Paul talks about that actually about false teachers that are bringing another gospel. He's saying like, you need to separate from that, right? Like if a church is not faithful to teaching the word of God and you've maybe approached the pastors or the leadership there and, and, and expressed your concern and maybe they've just ignored it or they've refused to, to listen, well then, you know, you need to leave and go to a church that's gonna faithfully proclaim the word of God. So I'm not saying just ignore, ignore things that... Um, that it's doctrinally wrong. That's not what was happening here. They were actually following good godly leaders. The problem was they were elevating them to a position that they shouldn't have been elevated to. So we're not saying that like anything goes and, and that there's never a point for there to be division. But the problem was this church was being divided over things they shouldn't have been divided about. Paul's saying, look, my appeal to you is that you would speak the same things, there'd be no divisions among you, but that you would come back, you'd be perfectly joined together in the same mind. And maybe you've experienced that before in a church, where it just felt like, man, the church is divided. Maybe you've experienced that. I've had people tell me, they said, Joel, I got to the point where I dreaded to even go to church, because it just felt like things just felt really tense. There was just infighting. And there were personality cliques of, of, of certain groups in the church like that were going against another group in the church. And that is, first of all, that's a miserable feeling. 
Because as the church, as we're come together, we're to come together to build one, one another up, not to tear one another down. But not only that, what a horrible testimony to our community. What a horrible testimony. Yes, the church is primarily for believers, right? To gather, to hear the word of God, to encourage one another, to build one another up. But just like in, uh, just like in the early church and today, there's also like this expectation that there would be unbelievers coming in. Right, as we're a church that wants to evangelize in a church that's, that's giving the gospel out to our communities, to our family, to our coworkers, we're assuming that each and every week people are going to walk in our doors who aren't believers. And we want them to feel loved and welcome. Yes, we're going to preach a hard message and preach the truth of the gospel. But what a horrible thing if they were turned away, not because of the gospel, but because they saw a church that was divided. They saw a church that, man, believers can't even get along with one another. That's a bad testimony for a church. And I thank God for our unity here at Crosspoint. I thank God for a spirit of humility and, and unselfishness. And, and, and that's important. And it's especially important, like, as the, church, as the church grows, to have a spirit of unselfishness where, you know what, it's, we have to look at things not just from what's best for me, but, well, what's best for everyone? What's best for everyone? It doesn't mean we're going to change what we preach and teach as far as what the word of God says. But like we might make adjustments, like we've made adjustments to things like times of services or different schedules or when different groups meet and in order. Some of those things will change. And what's important is as a church grows, you make those, those adjustments. And I've used the illustration multiple times about just like when your family grows, you make adjustments. Right When kids come, all of a sudden, like your schedule changes. You sell the sports car or the pickup and you buy the minivan, right? Changes, changes like that where it's like sometimes you make sacrifices or, or you just get a big Suburban, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but the point is this. The point is this, that we need to be, have a spirit of humility and unselfishness because as the family gets bigger, as the church grows, like we have to be more flexible. We have to see that we have to be more flexible. And ultimately God's the one that adds and God is the one that brings the growth to a church. And so there can be a danger of being so obsessed with growth that we sometimes I think churches fail to recognize like we need to love and serve the people God has already brought to us, you know, before we're just worried about the church growing. But on the other hand, a church can also become so inwardly focused that we're not welcoming to people that God's bringing into our doors. And the thing is, we want to have a good, healthy balance of both of those things. We want our church to feel like a family. We want our church, people in our church to, to, to have meaningful connections with one another. But also, too, we want it to feel like the family dinner table, but where there's always a place at the table for someone else, right? Because as a church, like people are going to come in that maybe they're believers, but they're just displaced and they're not part of a local church. We want them to feel loved and welcome if this is the place that God has for them to where they can grow and they can use their spiritual gifts. And also if someone comes in who's not a believer, well, we want to see them come to faith in Christ. We want to see them become a believer and then become part of our church family. What I'm proposing is this, that many times we can put human barriers where that doesn't happen if we as a church are not united together as believers. And so that's why it's important. 
that we have that. And ultimately, as Paul's going to point out here in chapter 1, it's because it's all about that God would be glorified. It's not really about any human leader being elevated. It's about God receiving glory. Amen. And that's why as a church, we can be united. That Yes, there's times. There's times where maybe we have to draw a line in the sand on a biblical issue and say we're not going to budge and compromise. But then there's also times when it's something that's just a personality conflict or maybe just a thing of not, you know, something doesn't go how we want or someone says something that could be taken offensive or maybe we're the ones that, that speak without really thinking and we're the ones that cause an offense where we need to downplay some of those differences. Instead of emphasize every point of what could possibly be dividing, we focus on really what matters. As Paul talks about in Philippians, striving together for the faith of the gospel, or we're united. So the, the church at Corinth here, they were divided. There was all these divisions going on. And in uh, verse number 12, he says, now this I say, that every one of you say, or sorry, verse 11, go back. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which were of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. So he's hearing from these people from the house of Chloe, there's contention and fighting. Now, here's an important principle, right? Paul is telling them directly like where he's hearing about this source of contention. That's not the main point of this passage, but I think it is worth noting. And it is important because sometimes as we maybe um, are peacemakers with, with other believers where there's a division, it's important that like sometimes when we step in as a mediator, as a peacemaker, um, that we are really trying to address and, and reconcile. Instead of just going to someone and, and addressing them saying, hey, a bunch of people have been telling me, and then you know, bring up the problem, that can sometimes not be helpful. But what is helpful is when we truly want to see reconciliation. And so we approach someone and say, look, I know there's an issue between you and so-and-so, can we work this out? Now, honestly, the best thing is to tell that person, hey, go directly to the person you have an issue with. Sometimes that's not possible, or sometimes maybe that's already happened and, and there hasn't been a resolution. So there's times where we do have to be a peacemaker. But what's important is we don't come and, and approach somebody and have just this, this anonymous person somewhere um, and then unload on someone about all the problems. Like, because that's not really going to help reconcile. So Paul's saying directly, okay, Hey, look, here's my source. I'm hearing from Nasa Chloe here in Corinth that, man, there's divisions and there's contentions. And he's like, look, that I don't want to hear about. I'm making an appeal to you that you guys come back together, that you're united, that you're not split up and divided. So here's what the contention was. Verse number 12. He says, now this I say, every one of you that saith I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm of Christ is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? He's like, was I crucified or were you baptized in, in my name? So part of the problem was this. The church was allowing the, the, the leaders they were following to be a point of division amongst the church. They were all claiming, well, hey, I'm following this person. I'm following this person. One said, well, I'm following Paul. Paul founded the church here at Corinth. So there was a group that said, man, Paul's our guy. We're following him. And another group said, well, we're following a man by the name of Apollos. We know from the book of Acts, Apollos was a really, really gifted speaker. 
And Apollos came from a place called Alexandria that was a place known for high intellect and education. And so, man, Apollos could really speak and, and, and was a great orator. And so there was a group you could see where maybe there, why there would be a group that would gravitate towards Apollos and say, man, he's our guy. I'm following Apollos. And another group said, well, I'm following Cephas, which is Peter. Maybe that was the, the Jewish believers within the church. And they're saying, Peter's our guy. Peter was a disciple, one of the disciples of Christ. And so we're following him. And then another group, it seemed like they were trying to be hyper spiritual or come under the guise of being spiritual and say, well, we're the ones who are truly just following Christ. And Paul's saying, look, you guys shouldn't be divided about this. He's saying, because look, is Christ isn't chopped up and divided. So why are you trying to cause division on the people, the spiritual leaders that you're, that you're following? So like an example, like it would be like if our church was divided, if, if some people were causing division saying, man, Pastor Joel, we're following you. You're the one that we're listening to and we like better. We're following you. And another group says, well, you know what? I really like Pastor Larry. And Pastor Larry's the one that I'm going to listen to and I'm going to follow. And then another group says, man, I, we're not following either one of those jokers. Pastor Caleb's our man. We're following Pastor Caleb. He's our guy. And the question would be like, wait, aren't we all following Christ? Why is there unnecessary division in elevating human leaders? And see, that's what happens, though, when we idolize people and put people in the place that only God should be, is when we idolize someone, we then can demonize everyone else that's not following them. And we do that all the time. We do that with, with our, our sports team, right? Like the, the team, like it's not just, it's not just that you love the, the team you follow. It's you hate the rivals and everybody else. <laughs> and it's kind of a funny illustration. Again, we do it in fun, hopefully, hopefully in fun. But we can, when we idolize someone or something, we can then demonize everyone else. Well, that's what was happening. And Paul's appealing to them saying, look, and, and, and he uses himself as the example. He uses himself as the example. He's like, was I crucified for you? He's like, were you baptized in my name? In other words, he's saying, it's not, it's not about me. It's not about me. Stop, stop allowing and make note these weren't false teachers. These were good, godly men who were faithfully teaching the word of God. Peter was a faithful follower of, of Christ. Sure, he denied him and had some issues. But man, after the resurrection, man, Peter never denied him again. Peter was a pillar in the, the, the church. And of course, Paul, we look at how God used him to plant all these churches and Apollos, yes, he had some doctrinal issues that um, Aquila and Priscilla had to confront him about in the book of Acts and, and, and had to work some of that out. But man, these were, these were faithful Bible teachers. So there's nothing wrong with following good, good Bible teachers. In fact, I would argue this, like that's important that we have Bible teachers and that God gives the church the gift of teachers and of pastors that we have in our life to follow them but not to elevate them to a position they shouldn't be. Because when that happens, then we see division. Then we see division happening. I, I know I've shared this story before, but it was like after our church just got started and, and I was at a, a church conference 
And um, someone came up to me and was like, man, I love following your stuff. And, and to be honest, like, I thank God for all that uh, uh, John and Pastor Caleb do with our media to where we have it. But like that first year, I mean, it was like not very like good quality of stuff. We were just, they did a good job with what we had. But, um, but you know, we were, we were trying to produce a lot of good content and, and have it available. And, um, and so someone came up to me like, man, I love following you guys' content. I tune in and listen to your sermons and Thank you for doing that. You guys are doing a really, really good job of putting this content out. Like, man, we really, really enjoy it. And it's like, you know, I'm like feeling pretty good about this. Like, oh, thank you, man. You know, you know, someone's actually listening to, to some of this stuff. And, and they're like, yeah, especially when the one guy, I think it's Pastor Larry, when he preaches, like, man, you should have him preach more. <laughs> it's like, that's what they told me. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, thanks a lot, right? Like, it, it's kind of humorous. But, you know, here's the reality. It's like, it should be, hey, praise God. Someone's being helped that the word of God is, 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 is being um, available to have and to listen to. Because it's really not about, about any leader. It's about Christ. It's about the gospel going forward. Now, that's not to say that there's not maybe a, a teacher or pastor that you listen to. Like, yeah, there's some dangerous stuff on the internet. Not everybody that's out there that's a popular internet preacher is promoting a true biblical doctrine. So be cautious, right? Be aware. But we're also thankful that there is a lot of good content out there. Nothing wrong with maybe there's somebody that you connect well with and enjoy their teaching and can really relate with how they explain the scripture. Like that's a healthy thing. The problem is when we elevate those people to a place that they shouldn't be, to where all of our loyalty is placed upon them. And what that is doing is this. First of all, it can cause division. But secondly... We're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Because if that person then lets us down or fails us, like, and, and you guys talk to people all the time, like I do. People that they're not in church, they left the church, and the majority, the majority, it was because someone in that church let them down. Someone in that church let them down. And I don't say this as an excuse for us to not be aware that like our testimony does matter. Amen. And like, and, I, and we need to know that. And we need to, to, to be aware that like, you know, that if, if, if there, there's, our life can affect other people drastically. It really can. But I would just challenge us with this. Like, don't idolize and put someone in a place that only God should be. Because what's going to do, it's going to cause division. But then secondly, if that person fails, if that person falls, it's going to devastate your faith. And, and we see that, right? Where somebody's placed someone, they've, they've idolized them, and then that person's failed them. And then, man, it's like now they like, they hate that person. They hate the church. They're every, everybody out there is just this fraud and failure. And it's, no, it's like a couple people that you elevated in a position that you never should have. They failed you and let you down. So, so Paul's making this appeal. Listen, Christ wasn't divided. Christ isn't divided. Why are you trying to divide him up? Paul's saying, look, you weren't baptized in my name. You weren't baptized in my name. So there's a, um, an interesting account that, that I had read about this last week. It was in the 18, early 1800s. Uh, there was a pastor in London named Henry Beecher. Henry Beecher was like a really, really dynamic speaker. And what would happen is like when he would preach, like, People would just flock to listen to him. And they just, they came because he was such a great, uh, a great Bible teacher. And they loved his style of teaching. Well, 
one Sunday, Henry Beecher wasn't there. And Henry Beecher's brother was filling in for him. Well, the crowds came. And, and as they were gathering, as they were there in that building in London, they, they recognized that, oh, Henry Beecher's not here. He's not preaching today. And people were getting up. They were getting up and walking out. So Henry Beecher's brother comes to the, comes to the, the, the platform and he, says, and he said this. This is just genius. But he said this. He's like, all those that came to worship Henry Beecher at this time can be dismissed. Those who came to worship Christ, you could stay in your seat. And you know, at his point, hopefully it was really driven home that like, man, it's a problem if you're coming to just hear one person instead of coming to worship Christ and worship God. Again, nothing wrong with having people that, that are your favorite Bible teachers and, and preachers that maybe you really glean a lot from as they teach and preach the word of God. But don't elevate them to a position that they shouldn't be elevated to. Paul's saying, look, Christ wasn't, or Christ isn't divided. Don't be divided. He goes on, he's talking about in verse um, 14, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius lest any say that I have baptized in my own name. So Paul's like not even emphasizing the people he's baptized. Because then he's like, I only baptized Crispus and Gaius. Oh yeah, and that, that's right. Also the household of uh, Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptize any other. He's like, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So Paul's not downplaying baptism. What he's downplaying though is, the human instruments that were doing the baptizing. Paul's saying, look, it's not really about me or Cephas or Apollos. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. So, hey, let's be thankful for godly leaders and pastors and teachers in our lives. Like, we need to follow them as they're following Christ. Let's be thankful for them. Yes, we see in the New Testament, like there is an accountability that we should have with spiritual leaders, but not in the place where we're elevating them that they're God or that they're more important in our life than what they should be. Because otherwise, what happens? It causes division. And Paul's saying, look, you guys shouldn't be divided. He uses himself as the example. He uses himself as the example and says, look, those that are saying that you're with me, was I crucified for you? You weren't baptized in my name. Don't die on my hill, is what he's saying. Look, he's just the instrument. He's just the tool. And I think that that's a healthy balance that we need to understand and recognize. Look, yes, have leaders in your life. Have people that you, you can listen to as they preach and teach the word of God. I'm thankful for that. And I'm super thankful to minister alongside Pastor Caleb and Pastor Larry. And I always um, grow when I listen to them preach and teach the word of God. I'm thankful for some Bible teachers that I'll listen to on a weekly basis. Because when I hear them preach and teach, especially if it's like a difficult passage that I have a hard time like wrapping my head around. And I'm trying to read and read commentaries. But like they're just like gifted in a way of being able to explain some of those things. Like I'm thankful for that. And I think it's appropriate uh, to have even people that we look up to as maybe, you know, our top two or three people that we, you know, really can glean and learn from. But let's not elevate them to a position that they shouldn't be. Don't, don't put your confidence in them. Because what it's going to do is it can cause division and fighting that doesn't need to be happening, right? We don't need to be divided. We're united for the, for the gospel. We're united for the faith of the gospel. Part of the reason, though, 
the church here at Corinth was, was participating in this is what we see now in these next verses because they were following the wisdom of the world instead of God's wisdom. Because at this time, again, in, in Corinth even, they had their, their philosophers and debaters and orators that they, they, would, they would say, man, he's our guy. And they would listen to them for hours and hours. Paul's saying, look, you're following the wisdom of this world. Because Paul said, look, I didn't come with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. To the unbelievers, he's saying, is foolishness. But to us which are saved, it is the power of God. In other words, he's saying this. It's not about my clever words. It's not about what I'm saying. Or, or sorry, how I'm delivering this. It's about the truth of the message that I'm preaching. And the message of the cross to the unbelieving world is foolish. But to those who are believers, it is the power of God. To those of us who are saved. He says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer or the debater of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So Paul's actually quoting from Isaiah the prophet. And we think this is a time in Isaiah the prophet back in the Old Testament where, where Isaiah has been called by King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah is surrounded by the Assyrian army. Assyrian army just had this notorious reputation of, of just being this fierce, fierce army that just terrorized people. And so the Assyrians had surrounded Jerusalem and, and, and they're just, they're taunting. They're taunting the people in the city about how they're going to destroy him and all that they're going to do once they breach those walls and come in the city. Well, Isaiah or Hezekiah, the king is terrified. So he calls Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet says, you know what? God's got this. God, they, they think the Assyrians think they're so wise and so strong. Well, God is going to bring all their wisdom to nothing but foolishness. And that night, an angel destroyed the Assyrian army. And, and what Isaiah was telling us, kind of, look, God's got this. This world, they think they're so wise, so strong, so clever, but it's foolishness. And Paul's saying this, look, the, the, the wisdom of the world is foolishness. People look at un, the unbelieving world many times, looks at Christianity. They look at the gospel and it's just like to them, it's utter foolishness. They think, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Like you guys are so gullible in Again, I don't think it's because it's not like logical. I would argue like as believers, we actually have a worldview that makes sense of the reality that we see around us. I mean, I know the unbelievers say, oh, well, you guys believe in this, like in the miraculous. They think that's ridiculous. Like the naturalistic materialist thinks it's ridiculous that we believe in like the miracles in the word of God. However, what does the naturalist materialist believe? Well, they believe miracles happen all the time in their worldview. I mean, we're in an, we're in an unguided, no per, a universe with no personal governance or guidance is what they believe. But yet you have things like the laws of logic that are in place. You have things like uniformity in nature that we just assume. And by the way, the unbeliever assumes those things as well. 
Like we live our life assuming those things, but to the unbeliever, it's by sheer magic. I mean, that's just how it, how it is. I mean, the universe just happened to be this way. It's all matter in motion happening on time and chance. So I would argue that the unbeliever, the atheist, the skeptic, um, they, they're actually the ones that believe in black magic that happens every day in their worldview. But as believers, we believe that, that God created the universe to operate in a certain way. And there's things like uniformity in nature that's going to be in effect tomorrow, just like it is today. The laws of physics are going to be in effect tomorrow, just like they are today. We believe that. That's why we, we aren't afraid to get, well, most of us aren't afraid to get in an airplane and fly because we believe that the laws of, of physics are going to be in place and, and we wake up and we don't think we're just going to float off into space that we assume the laws of gravity are still going to be in effect today. And so what I'm proposing is this, like, it's not that our belief is just absurd and ridiculous. What Paul's saying is though, to the unbeliever that doesn't have the spirit of God in them, who's dead in their trespasses and sins, the message of the cross, it's just foolish. It doesn't make sense to them. They don't believe it because they don't have the spiritual understanding and discernment. And by the way, the same thing was true of you and I before we knew Christ as our savior. Amen. Like it didn't make sense. It's foolishness. And even if you were saved at a young age, like, I mean, maybe you didn't grow up like really as a doubter and skeptic in that sense, but still like it's without the Holy Spirit of God giving us that new life and that understanding, we can't understand the scripture. And um, uh, pa Pastor Larry, is th th this thought continues into chapter two. So I promised Pastor Larry, I wasn't going to hammer on it too much and steal his thunder for two weeks when he picks that up. But basically Paul's saying this, look, the, f the, the, the preaching of the cross the message of the cross, Christ's death, burial, his resurrection is what saves someone. Like to the unbelieving world, it doesn't make sense. It's foolish. But that's because they don't have that spiritual understanding. They're dead in their trespasses and their sins. To them, it's foolishness. But he says, look, God uses what the world says is foolish to confound the wise. He goes on to say, um, verse 26, see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God's chosen the foolish things of the world that confound the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world that confound the things that are mighty, the base things of the world, which are despised has God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to not things that are. Why? So that no flesh is going to glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, verse 31, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. He's telling the church here at Corinth, look, you guys are following the wisdom of the world and to the world, the, the message of the cross is foolish. Look, the world may look at believers and maybe look at the church and think like, you know what? There's nothing that great about them. They're not really smart or wise. Um, and, and the reality is this though, like that because they're, they're not believers, like they don't have that spiritual light and understanding. So to them, it looks like foolishness. Like, man, why would you give up your Sunday? And the reality is 
as Christians, we don't just give up our Sunday, right? It's like, it, it's a, it should be a life that we live that's transformed us, that we live in a certain way. And to the world, they don't understand that. Like, they look at it as, why would you give all these things up? Why would you stop having fun? You know, it's, it's sometimes like maybe the, the, the jabs that you get from people. Why would you give up having all this fun? But the reality is to them, it looks like foolishness because they don't have that spiritual understanding. So don't be discouraged. Like as we talked about last week, Sosthenes, the man that was so opposed to Christianity, he was arguing against it. Well, now he's a believer. Now he's like a right at Paul's side doing ministry. Hey, look, the people that maybe, um, I don't want to say bully, but maybe it is a little bullying in a sense or mock you, make fun of you about your faith in Christ, just recognize this. It's because their heart has not been transformed by the gospel. They look at it as foolishness. They look at it, it doesn't make sense. And Paul says, look, to, to the unbeliever, the cross is foolishness. But to us who are saved, it's the power of God. We have experienced that life transforming power of the gospel that can save anyone. Pastor Larry will expound upon that in two weeks as we continue on with chapter two. But I just encourage us as a church. Look, it's easy to look here, especially like at the church at Corinth and be like, man, these guys were messed up. Without looking at, well, like, what applications do we need to take from this to our church now? Are we as a church united? Is there division with you and a, a, maybe another believer? Is there some things that aren't right that maybe, you know, the answer is that you guys have the same mind, the mind of Christ. A mind of humility and unselfishness. Because, like, look, if there's division in our church, and again, there's none that I, that I know of. Like, I'm not, you know, trying to, like... Um, trying to hammer on like an instance that I know, like, I don't know of any division, but if, if, if there's someone who's another believer that you have maybe something against, look, our church isn't going to be as strong as it could be as long as there's that division. Seek to make that relationship right. Seek to have the mind of Christ. Let's not buy into worldly wisdom and worldly philosophy of elevating people up and causing division in doing that. Let's recognize this. That it's really not about any of us. It's about God being glorified. Let the person that glories glory in Christ. Because it should be about him. And we as a church, I hope that our, I hope that our, our goal is to glorify God. I hope that we're wanting to reach out and be the light in our city. And we're not going to do that if there's division and fighting within our church. We need to be united. We need to be united as a church family. Don't buy into this of trying to put people in certain groups and in elevating yourself and elevating people. And let's just look to elevate Christ. Amen. Let's look to lift him up and to glorify him. And, and let's also recognize, look, to the unbelieving world that's out there, they might look at us and think that what we're preaching and teaching is foolish. But that's okay. Because they're dead and their trespasses and sins. What does Romans 1 talk about? Romans 1 says that the, the people that are suppressing the truth of God, they profess themselves to be wise, but in reality, they're fools because they're ignoring, they're ignoring what's just blatantly in front of them because they're holding on to their sin. We need to love those people, pray for those people. We need to recognize that, look, the unbelieving world, they may not lift us up, but that's okay. That's okay because it's not about us being glorified it's about God being glorified. Again, it doesn't mean that, oh, the people that are unbelievers are, 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 are stupid and don't know anything. 
No, it's just that they don't understand spiritual things. Right? Because they need a changed heart. They need a heart transformation. So be patient with those unbelievers. Yeah, they look at you and maybe jab at you and mock you as like, oh man, you guys are foolish. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your life. You're wasting your Sundays or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, well, yeah, because the things of the spiritual things to them are foolishness because they need the spirit of God in them to transform them. Just like that message of the cross, just like the gospel transformed us. And so let's pray for those that don't know Christ. Let's love them and be patient with them, recognizing that we are nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. And, and there's, it's not about our glory. It is about the glory of God.